gentlemen welcome to stories out of time and space i'm one of your regular hosts scott weatherly and as always i'm joined by julian darius julian how are you doing i am filled with neurotic irresponsibility <laughs> how are you <laughs> i'm great i'm flying through space as an erotic sort of sex kitten <laughs> um we that's have gonna done. be your byline from now on you know scott weatherly comma sex kitten <laughs> yeah I'm going to put it on a card. Put it on LinkedIn. That's what I think I'll do. Put it on my LinkedIn. Um, we have done up until uh, this season so far, and we sort of mentioned it last episode, but we've done Godzilla and we talked about uh, you know the impacts of the Second World War, nuclear annihilation, and the effect how it had the impact on on uh, Japanese culture. And then we went and we talked about, you know, uh, Quatermass in the Pit, and we talked about Lovecraftian horror and intergalactic sort of the seeding of, an, of an, a race and all this other stuff, and got quite deep on that sort of thing. This week we're gone, you know, the, the the dial has swung the other way, and we are talking the height of sixties sort of erotic kitsch um, with an incredibly uh, well. What I would say is. People know of this film more than they know the film. Um, we're going to be talking about Barbarella from 1968, uh, starring Jane Fonda. Um, and that's pretty much all you need to know about it. Uh, <laughs> um, you don't want to do the plot summary. <laughs> I, as I said, I tried to sort of like jot one down. And I was like, the more detail you go into, the less sense the plot summary made. So to be... to. I don't even know what her job is in this film, but basically she's some sort of, Barbarella is a, some sort of agent. I think she's an intergalactic dominatrix is what they call her. Yeah. Uh, well, they don't, it's like, uh, it's not dominatrix. It's like uh, astro navigatrix. Uh, right. So it, it has the tricks thing at the end, but yeah. you know, I, I think she's like an astro navigator or something. And she is sent on a mission to find a, a scientist called Duran Duran, uh, who is inventing a weapon. Um, but they appear to have sort of evolved past all forms of conflict for thousands of years. So she's a bit confused by that. But that's her mission. She ends up going to planets and eventually the city of planet of Sogo uh, and meeting sort of all a cast of characters before finally confronting Duran uh, Duran and literally flying away from an exploding city as the sort of film ends and stuff. So uh, we will get into the wares and wifals of it. Um, but really, let's let's get to the point. Where did you first come across this film, then, Julian? Uh, well, um, you know, much uh, like you were saying, I was aware of this movie for like a couple decades before I saw it. Um, I did not see it until probably like ten years ago. Um, and I, I probably I had seen clips of it, uh, but it was something that like everybody referenced. 
the American movie poster that was like Barbarella, Queen of the Galaxy, you know, like Jane Fonda, you know, uh, you know, standing scantily clad with that kind of like Star Wars y sort of like melange of, of elements behind her. Um, you know, I mean, that you knew that poster growing up. I mean, you know, people would make Barbarella references in, you know, uh, pop culture, you know, in comedies, you know, anytime somebody was like a, you know, sort of a, uh, space woman that was sexualized at all. Uh, somebody would say like, oh, you know, you're dressing up as Barbarella, you know, or something like that. But nobody watched the movie. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, so yeah, Barbarella, queen of the galaxy. I mean, it's just, it's iconic, but it, it's, it's more iconic for like, you know, and, and we'll get into this in the film, but like, it's more iconic for the idea of what it was doing mm-hmm. of sort of like the, the, uh, you know, space vixen than uh, than for any elements of the plot. And, you know, you mentioned Duran Duran, like the band is named after Duran Duran, you know, uh, there's so, although I think officially Duran Duran has a D at the end. And so mm. the band was like, well, it sounds like Duran Duran and they yeah. have a transcript. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's like unbelievable influence to this film, but nobody's watched it, you know, or lots of people watched it, but more people have been influenced than watched it. Uh, so, what about you? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very similar thing. I haven't watched this in a long, long time. The first, I mean, I've w- watched it probably once before, you know, since watching it again for this recording, and that was at university. And I do think, like you said, it was always the poster. It's one of those sort of the posters. It's the cover that's now on the Blu-ray. It's that sort of like the iconic thing of you know Jane Fonda's scantily clad, holding the rifle, and all this other stuff. And it's up there with sort of like that Raquel Welch sort of um, one million years BC kind of thing. Like everyone knows the poster. Everyone knows that she's in sort of the fur skin bikini. Very few people have actually seen the film. Um, and, and I remember sort of seeing the poster. I, I can actually remember when I was at university, they had the poster there at Freshers Week as everyone's putting stuff up for their walls and so the stuff. And I remember just thinking like that time thing. I said, that's one of the films I really should see. Um, and just being able to pick it up on DVD or something at one point whilst I was at university, and then being like, right, we've got to watch this. Watching it and thinking then, this is odd, and I'm not sure what to make of this, and then never going back to it. And I don't still have that DVD, so I must have passed it on. Um, and it being that thing, of, it just it just exists in pop culture as an, an entity rather than a film that people sort of actually go back and watch. Um, which I do find is quite bizarre. But also, I sort of understand why. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we were talking a little before the show about, you know, sort of the response to it. And I think it's easy to kind of, like, brush it off. Um, But I think that, you know, I love this movie. Uh, You know, I think that one of the reasons why I was not eager to see it is I just thought, like, I got it. You know, there's a woman who's scantily clad with a ray gun and like that's an awesome aesthetic. But like, what more do I need to know? Right. And mm. nobody ever talked about the plot. Um, I, I actually think the plot is quite interesting, although nonsensical, you know. Uh, but, you know, the truth is like the the plot of, you know, Star Wars is nonsensical. The plot of Flash Gordon is nonsensical. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that this is that much more nonsensical, but it is more whimsical it, it, it's got this wonderful sense of whimsy to it. Um, and, and I feel like it's, you know, it's about things. I, I love it's For me, every time I go back and watch this, 
my initial impression okay there's it starts with the the like uh sort of like uh, most famous sort of striptease scene that she's getting out of her spacesuit mm. and it's and it's obviously shot like uh with a camera overhead against uh you know with her on a plane of glass um but it's really well done for the time and you know it's uh it sort of announces what it's doing um but then every time i watch this i'm amazed by like how much i do not like everything that follows for about 40 minutes um and you know i mean there's stuff i like there's you know there's stuff we'll talk about that i think is is really praiseworthy and interesting um but for me it's really like once they go to uh sogo uh they're in the city every set i love every mm. set is like totally bizarre there's you know like this culture is totally alien and weird like the dialogue is all like suggestive and you know like and, and suggestive in the best sense, not just like a sexual innuendo, but suggestive in the sense of like, does that mean something in this culture or are they weird? Or is that a joke? Like, you know, it's, it's just so weird. I love how weird this movie is. It does go to, I mean, like I say, when they get to Sogo, when they get to the, the, sort of the, th- the final third of the film, like there are some really interesting ideas about, is it? and they also, they, they have really interesting ideas that just get moved on. They're like, here's something fascinating. Move on. It's just sort of thrown away. Um, and there's a couple of those which I'll, I'll bring up, which I thought were really good. But no, you're right. I find the first 10 minutes in particular, uh, like, I mean, you couldn't do it today. Firstly, the striptease is, is you know, it's, it, to be fair, it's it's well done. It, it feels very 60s. It covers the sort of the, the film credits, the titles as they go through. Um, and then she's just in her uh, spaceship, which basically is, is clad not just sort of floor to ceiling, but like 360, 360 degrees in sort of shag carpet. Like it's it's incredibly sort of like of its of the time. Um but then when she's given her mission and there's this whole conversation with her and the president of Earth and she's sort of playing this sort of naive and this is the thing I sort of I, I struggle with his whole character. It's like she's given a mission. She's clearly sort of been chosen for this mission because it, it seems like an incredibly important mission. And I wouldn't say she's stupid, but she's playing it like almost like ditzy and naive and all this other stuff. And I'm sort of like, why was she chosen? Like, if she's been chosen, like, what else? Who else was available to do this? Um, and it's one of those things that in these films, you sort of you are given a reason as to why the protagonist is special, why they're the only one that could do this mission or whatever, you know. Um, or why they were chosen, or whatever, for whatever reason. Like, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to why she was the one to, chosen to do this. And then you get ten minutes of her traveling through space, and it's just a, sort of like some psychedelic images up on a screen. <laughs> yeah. And it goes on for quite some time. Um, and I was of going back and watching. This, I was a bit like, I hope this moves on soon because this is, <laughs> this is ten minutes in, and it's already dragging. But um. Yeah, it starts to pick up then. But I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on sort of that? On that, you know, what? Why Barbarella? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, and I don't know that it matters. I mean, I, I, I think that you know, like, you know, Flash Gordon is like, I'm a football player. Why can't yeah. they lead a revolution? Why do you need this <laughs> idiot? You know, um, you know, I mean, Barbarella. I mean, I think the idea is, I, I do kind of like that conversation with the president. Uh, you know, he's the president of Earth, and the idea is like, 
um, they're in this time of peace. And when uh, the president of Earth first says, you know, like Duran Duran is working on this weapon, you know, she's like, what? You know, neurotic irresponsibility? Like, you know, like, who, you know, like, who wants conquest anymore? You know, like, this is just such a foreign concept to them. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, Roddenberry Star Trek in that way. Mm. Um, You know, it's very utopian. It's like, yeah, there are parts of space we don't really know, but basically all of space that's colonized is totally civilized. And the other thing is she has that conversation with him in the nude. So she's taking off those. And so, you know, I mean, which obviously it's, you know, exploitative, you know, it's, it's, you know, sexploitation, but it, it also, there's no reference to it. No, it's just no sense of shame. It's just like, yep, this is my body. Um, and I think that, you know, the idea is that uh, she's an astro navigator and I guess there aren't a lot of those. And I think what, you know, what distinguishes her is she does seem, I don't think she's stupid. I think that she is, she's obviously very, you know, skilled at what she does. I think that she is, um, I mean, she's respected by the president. Like the president knows her. Um, Clearly they've talked multiple times and he sort of says like, I look forward to meeting you in person someday, you know? And it's sort of, there's a, you know, suggestiveness to that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, obviously he knows her, he respects her. She's out there flying around. And it seems like what makes her so unique is she's lucky, but she's also like totally courageous, totally like through the whole movie, every time they're like, well, you can't do that. You know, like, how are we going to do that? Nobody's ever done that. She's just like, well, we could do this. Let's do it. You know, just, just, there's this just kind of like, kind of like American can do spirit, you know, to her that just never, thought anything was impossible and i think that's the closest i can get to no i, I don't do that like a, 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 i'd almost describe it like a peppiness like she's just constantly pet like, you know chirpy and, and like i said she does she takes on every challenge like she never gives in i mean that's a i would definitely say that like at no point does she back down like she's she i mean she is the forward momentum throughout the entire film um every time they hit a blocker or like an obstacle she's just like well we'll do this and we just we'll you know so but she's not like mary sue about it like she doesn't always succeed she but she's always driving the thing forward um yeah no i suppose that's true i mean you know it's like you say the it's interesting to say you say she's skilled um she still does crash (laughs) land and (laughs) i mean actually one of the things i find most interesting though is i say um you say about this idea of conflict. Uh, one of the things that sort of they, you know, he sends her and says, look, if you're going to go up against this person that's building a weapon, you are going to need weapons. And so he sends her these sort of futuristic looking ray guns and stuff. But they're from a, they're from a, mo- uh, a museum. Yeah. And cause they're like, oh, we don't, we don't have this anymore. <laughs> we've, sort of, we've sort of had to, we, we've had to go and raid the archives to get you these guns. And she's, a, she's sort of holding them. She's a bit like, well, well, um, all right, well, I've got guns now, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and I, I do like that, that the sort of, you know, that's not the sort of the go-to anymore. It's sort of like, well, we, don't, we, don't, we travel around and we'd see things, but yeah, it's never been, I don't have a gun. Um, it definitely is a, a more optimistic. It definitely taps into that sort of, I wouldn't say hippie-ish, because it's, it's definitely hippie, but it, happen, it taps into the positivity of the 60s. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and again, like he respects her. I love the fact that she, you know, that she doesn't put clothes on, uh, you know, like, oh, the president is calling me. Well, whatever. I'm going to take the call. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, there's no like, I mean, you know, um, we're all, uh, you know, making recordings uh, at home uh, on COVID and we're worried about like, you know, do I do that in my sweatpants? You know, like, do, do I wipe the mucus off my shirt? You know, that kind of thing. And, you know, here, Barbaro's just like, yeah, this is who I am. I'm, I'm not embarrassed by it. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you're right about the museum thing. I love that. There's a loot of like, it, it's almost this, you know, Vulcan-esque thing, but they don't split the fingers. The way they sign on and off is by holding up their hands and saying, love. Mm. What the fuck, man? Like, like yeah. this is so utopian. Uh, I love it though. No, you know, because I think of love in sort of there's two things really. I think is is all through this because eventually we will get to him. But the character of Pygar, who I'm never entirely sure if he is actually an angel or not, because that's it's never quite explained. But he does say throughout it because he suggests that this he slept with Pygar that slept with Barbarella. But he says in it that well, angels don't make love; they are love. So there's this, there is real positivity throughout this film. It's supposed to be about non-conflict. I mean, it's, it's, it's literally about good versus like ultimate evil, really. Um, but yeah, no. Well, Barbara, go on. Yeah, you say good versus evil, but I mean, you know, that's true. But I think that, you know, not to like, you know, fluff up this film too much, but I mean, it, it's fundamentally about... Um, you know, this vision of the universe of, of Barbarella as wonderfully innocent, despite, uh, you know, having sex with multiple people. Nobody, the only person who ever says anything about shame is Duran Duran, the villain. Um, but, you know, uh, that vision of the world versus a vision of control and repression. Mm. And Duran Duran not only wants to conquer, you know, I mean, that city is evil and, you know, it's ruled by a tyrant, but Duran Duran wants to conquer it and he wants to build a gun. But it's like this masculine idea of conquest and control. And other than that, there's no sense of conquest and control. Uh, you know, the vision of the world that uh, the world that Barbarella comes from is one in which who cares who you have sex with? You know, uh, who cares, uh, you know, if you're new talking to the president, the idea of that kind of masculine force of, of control and conquest is seems to be utterly unknown. Yeah. I mean, being naked and talking to the president in 2020, that has whole different connotations at the moment. <laughs> but God. It's very true. But one of the things I also noticed in this film, at no point, apart from sort of her being beautiful and, and sort of it being around sort of sex and stuff, and again, they, they, they don't refer, they refer to it as lovemaking, her being a female warrior is never questioned. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, at no point is that, but you're a woman sort of thing, which would, you know, <laughs> would have been invented. It's not, it's not even a thing. Oh, it's just Barbarella's here and she's going to sort of take them on. Like, it's just a part and parcel of it. And I love that, that again, like that's, it's just, you know, who she is. It's just, she's just there as a character. Um, one of the things I will throw out, because again, you say about this thing that's influenced future films. Um, and we've talked obviously about the sex and stuff that's in it. There's also this notion of it, it's sort of alluded to until it's finally explained, which is weird. It's almost like the wrong way around, but it's explained at one point that, that, that physical um, 
sexual contact is sort of is no longer a thing in, in the universe. And they have this drug, and then they sort of they touch hands, and it's sort of like a psycho you know, sexual thing. And all, all I can think of is Demolition Man has clearly taken from this film. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which I thought was really weird. I was like, that's a really weird reference. I'm now thinking about a Sylvester Stallone action <laughs> film from the 90s, but, you know, there you go. Um, but, yeah, no, there's this whole thing, that, and I'm going to just drop this idea now because it, sort of, uh, it sort of struck me after watching the film, is she's, this, she's a naive character, should I say. She's not ashamed of her body or her sexuality in any real way. But when she crashes onto the planet and, you know, she's attacked by these kids and these dolls, which... I'm not entirely the only, I, the only way I can the only thing I can think of that exists solely for her to be rescued by uh, the beardy hairy guy. That's that's mm -hmm. it. Mark Hand, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, sort of like his and his purpose in the film is to introduce her to physical sex. Because um, he says it, she says it. You know, he sort of saves her, takes her into this little cabin thing, which is his boat. Which, to be fair, again. The sets on the ice planet are crap, but the design for that sort of ice skimming boat thing is actually really cool. Yeah. Uh, it's literally like a little log cabin with sails. <laughs> I was like, that's really cool. Yeah, um, with this weird like a uh, seashell kind of like uh, translucent yeah. front to it. And the sails like, you know, they're connected at various points, but it's not like a solid line. Like, yeah, I mean, there's a, the design of this movie, I think, is fantastic. And as you say, like that, the ice, the icy area, it's embarrassing. I mean, it is, it is, you know, that's part of where, like with the sort of magnetic storm that goes on and on and, <laughs> yeah. and the dolls, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff early on that just does not look great and doesn't feel great right. to watch. It's, but it looks OG, it looks, it looks OG Star Trek. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. The worst of Star Trek. Yeah. Um. But the thing I find interesting was, I mean, he says to her, like, for having rescued her, she says, well, you know, what do you want? He says, oh, I, want, I want to have sex with you. I want to make love to you. And she's sort of like, oh, OK, well, I've got one of the drugs here somewhere and sort mm -hmm. of thing. And he's like, no, 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 not that way. The the real way. I want to, you know, proper sort of intercourse. And she's sort of like, oh, well, oh, we, don't, we don't do that anymore, really. I mean, it seems a bit pointless. It's really inefficient, isn't it? Um, and she sort of gives in incredibly quickly. Um, and then, it, you know, she it sort of cuts to the next thing, and she's obviously now experienced this sort of physical thing, and it sort of it's changed her because now all of a sudden she's very open to it. But what I thought was really was really interesting is it could have been anyone, but he's almost like a he's almost like a caricature of manliness. Um, you know, she's obviously very very feminine. She's wearing sort of very sort of. Um, I would say wholly revealing, but very sort of suggestive clothing. It's very well designed. I mean, the, the thing is, the costumes in this are great. Like, they're amazing. But he is literally wearing a hair suit. <laughs> yeah. And he's got, like, a big beard. and that's, He is sort of like the manliest man they could find if he, without being a lumberjack to, in this for this film. And it's, it's just quite interesting that he is the one that introduces her to, like, physical uh, sensation. Um. And I was like, is that meant to be, is that like a 60s thing? Is that sort of like, you know, I don't know. But it just felt like a very intentional choice. Yeah. I mean, I kept thinking of, uh, you know, Sean Connery in that role, you know? Yes. I mean, it's so Sean Connery-like, you know, I prefer the old-fashioned way, you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could totally see Connery in that role. 
Um, yeah, no, I mean, I know what you're saying. And I think that, you know, I mean, ultimately, I'm sure we'll we'll have this discussion and keep coming back to this about like how to understand this film and understand this character and this plot in terms of feminism and the development of feminism. And there's no doubt that, um, you know, that is one of the more problematic mo- elements, right? Like, on the one hand, I, I think the, the way she yields to him and says, oh, well, like, okay, so it's problematic that sex is a reward. Like, you've rescued me. I want to do something. But when he's like, well, you know, I'd like to have sex with you, <laughs> you know, she doesn't bat an eyelash. She's like, well, you know, uh, that seems barbaric to do with this old fashioned way. But, you know, she's I mean, so she. I'm not saying that isn't problematic and you're right that it's problematic that he's like, you know, the, the most by far, the most sort of like ultra masculine figure. Mm. Um, but, and, and then that he kind of like initiates her and, you know, she's sort of singing and that's a cliche, but I think it's done pretty well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think those elements are problematic, but I also think like the way she is just like, Oh, well, you know, that's fine. There's no like, I'm not that type of girl. That's clearly not a thought that's ever occurred to her. The idea that she's somehow tainted or, you know, a slot or any of this, like that does not exist. And, and even at the end, you know, like the, um, this, you know, monstrosity sort of spits her out and, and and sort of does it because she's so innocent. Mm -hmm. Well, she slept with like two guys, you know, and, and the movie is like, no, you are, you are majestically innocent. So much so that, like, the universe responds to your innocence. And that innocence exists uh, utterly independent of how many sexual partners you've had. And so I think that, yeah, she yields to him. And there is this kind of, like, initiation into sex that that is problematic there. But uh, on the other hand, you know, she is utterly innocent about it. She's not hung up. And, you know, and here we get into, like, uh, you know, issues of feminism and issues of the time, um, you know, I mean, this is the 60s. And, you know, mm-hmm. in the 60s, uh, you know, like we shouldn't pretend that like the, the hippie countercultural movement wasn't sexist. It absolutely was. Not everybody was having sex with everybody. And you read these firsthand accounts and it's like, yeah, you know, uh, there were a lot of guys macking on girls in, you know, not nice ways. Um, but... Uh, at the same time, you know, this was the era of like obscenity trials and, you know, Grove Press defending uh, great classic literature, you know, and Tropic of uh, Cancer and Capricorn and stuff. And, uh, you know, um, so, you know, at the time, um, basically presenting sex in any kind of positive way, any way that wasn't just shameful, was itself a kind of radical political act. Um and I think, you know, today, as we continue to have these discussions and we look back on this film, I think it's, you know, despite those problematic elements, I think it stands up remarkably well. And there's a kind of, for me, I mean, we're two guys having this discussion, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, but, you know, in talking with, um, you know, uh, my friends who are feminists, you know, we often have a, we often delineate between, or they often delineate their sex positive feminism from the sort of more problematic feminism that I, you know, more militant sort of stuff that I Mm. have had a problem with at times. And I think that this is 
like that sex positive strain of feminism runs right through Barbarella. Uh, oh, Barbarella yes. is just a wonderful example for me of, you know, a good kind of, of feminism that hopefully we will continue to move into. I would definitely agree with that. I, I totally agree. The sort of, like I say the sex positivity is, um, like you say, runs throughout it. And again, because it, it never comes across, like I say, as being seedy or um, even even the, the fact itself, like, you know, the, the, you've had the striptease at the beginning. And then so to transition to her sort of sleeping with this, or like I say, this ultra-masculine looking guy, but it never feels in the film, you know, it never feels that they don't exploit it. It's not sort of, like I say, it's exploitation. There's no sort of like, you know, bow, chicka, wow, wow. And sort of like, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Though? It, sort of, yeah. it transitions to the next scene. It's just her humming and singing and sort of like, well, that was a lovely experience. And he's sort of like, okay, well, actually, I could probably fix your shit for you. Um, and even when they part, it's that sort of like she there's an expectation. She's like, Oh, are you coming with me then? And he's like, No, no, I'm I'm here. This is this is where I sort of live and this is where I'm used to, so I'm gonna stay. And it's 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 nice. And she's like, Okay, well that was thank you very much for your help and everything. And you know, she's obviously been uh, quite um affected by this moment because she's sort of a bit dazed. But at no point is it played like for seediness or sort of for cheap sex se- you know, sexual sort of like thrills. Which I was a little surprised about because it is, it's like you say, sex positivity is what it is. Um, but like you say, that whole sort of first act of, of that, it sort of gets to that point, and I'm like, well, that was pointless. Um, and then sort of it throws it, like you said, episodic is definitely what you mentioned before, sort of it throws you into that next bit. Um, because he's, and this bit, you, you may have to explain to me a bit because I may have blinked. Um, but like he's put, he's he's basically connected up her ship backwards. So instead of going out into space, she is jettisoned through the planet. Um, yeah, I, d- I don't really understand that. I mean, I think like he he fixes her ship and it takes off. But I mean, it seems like then it has some kind of like failure and it crashes and it seems to like crash through the ice. And mm. then they're just like in another area. Uh I don't understand that. No, at first I was like, oh, this must be like an underground, you know, <laughs> area. And then I was like, oh, no, no, there's a sky. And, there's a pl- <laughs> and there's, so I legitimately thought, like, maybe I must have looked away for something, but I checked and I couldn't find anything. So, okay, good. I'm glad you were just as confused as me. No, um, I mean, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, but it does. It's literally like an episodic transition because she now goes to the second half of the film, which is where she goes to. I suppose like the city of like Sogor, and there's, there's this sort of she's in this maze um, of ruins. It's more like a ruin, isn't it, of, of an old city or something? Yeah, they, um, they call it the the labyrinth. Um, mm. Now, I, I do want to say, like, I, I definitely feel like uh, that that early stuff when she lands and then she like uh, you know is uh, meets these kids, and it's like all these kids are twins, and they have these dolls that have sharp teeth, and they attack her and bite her and you know, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I, you know, it's like kind of, why are they all twins, you know? And then, you know, um, uh, Sean Connery comes up and, uh, you know, Mark Hand and says he's a catch man. And it seems as if, you know, they say like the area is called Weir and he captures children when they're old enough and then turns them in, right? 
So, and then, you know, he has, she has sex with him and then they go to this labyrinth and the labyrinth is like in the outskirts of the city, right? That's like mm. the capital city where the, the tyrant lives. So, and so I think that going through it, like basically there's no point to the kid stuff. There's no point to the doll stuff. There's no point to, you know, the Mark Weir and, you know, I mean, there's some, I like a lot of these design elements. I actually like the design of the ship. You know, the ship is mm. very feminine and you'd not confuse it for a rocket ship. Even inside, like you're right, the shag carpeting is weird, but like, you know, there's like a keyboard control center. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, everything is just weird. And I love how just weird and organic it is in this weird way. Um, but so there's stuff like that I like in that element, in, in that section and, and even in this labyrinth section. But but I, I don't think it's good. But, mm. but, you know, as far as plot, there is this kind of, you know, not to, not to pump it up too much, but there is this kind of like heart of darkness, sort of like getting closer and closer to the city. And while you're doing that, you're seeing different aspects of, of the culture, right? So like, I, you know, I know, like I'm making this seem like it's, you know, classic literature, right? But, but like those twins are like, oh, this is where the kids are. And they live like barbarians and Mark Hand is like this barbarian and, you know, and those twins are creepy and they basically have no adult supervision. But then when they get old enough, the catch man, right, like takes them over to like mm. the city and the labyrinth is like uh, on the suburbs where like the rejected people are and they can never leave the labyrinth. And, you know, and then you event you get eventually get to the city. So you have these like concentric rings of sort of like distance from the empire center, if you will, you know? Mm. And I think that's a really cool structure, even though I don't like most of the, the stuff until you get to the city. No, I see what you're saying. Um, <laughs> and, and, and maybe I would have seen that more. <laughs> if more happened, you know, like, cause you go, as I say, from the outside of the planet to this other thing, and then sort of gets into the, into the city relatively easily. Um, if there was like, almost like a, just one more section, of like, okay, here's another place. Like you say, that would be a questing journey of her, that she's gone through all these things. Maybe, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I can see what you're saying. It, it, it's, I mean, this film isn't long. It's 98 minutes sort of thing. So it's quite sort of concise. And of that, I think 10 minutes is taken up with the striptease at the beginning. So, it, but yeah, so it's, I can see what you're saying, but still. Can we just like, mandate a 10 minute striptease in all movies, you know, to yeah. add to the <laughs> runtime? Just pick the who. There's certain people who are ever going to be in the film. Just one of them has to do it. Sort of. Uh... I mean, I, I and I, you know, look. In, in, in to be honest about it, to be to be uh, gender equal, if we're going to do a Captain America movie, everybody loves Chris Evans. Chris Evans has to do striptease. You know, I think I think he'd be up for it. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> him and him and Chris Pratt would probably have like a striptease off. I'm pretty sure they'd. Uh... I think Chris uh, Pratt would say God would object. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> they did it for charity. I think they might do it for the right reasons. Um, but yeah, no, the, the thing with this, it goes to this next point, and again, this is where it sort of throws in ideas that it's not that they don't go anywhere, but they're ideas that a, a bit like the rest said at the beginning. It's almost like here's an idea. I'm not going to explain any more about it we're just going to sort of move on um, because these people that live in this labyrinth, like you literally meet a guy with massive wings. I have to admit the, the wing effects and the, the, again, the sort of style of it look great. 
Yeah. Like they look really cool. Pygar as a, as an angel looks really cool. Um and you meet like you know Marceau Marceau is Professor Ping. Um yeah. who again you're sort of like, well, what are you doing here? Like why have you got a French mime as a as an actor in this? <laughs> All right. Um and there's other characters and they're sort of they're introducing this because sort of like, they sort of pan through this labyrinth and there are people that have been sort of like combined with the rock. Yeah. There are people sort of going along and they've got like cobwebs sort of draped all over them. There's there's one point there's someone in the background crying. There's like stuff going on. I'm like, what is this? This is like gone to a different, this has gone a very different tone. And when they sort of, when they get Professor Ping explaining it at one point, I mean, it's not a great effect, but they have a guy turn round and he's fading. Like he has his head, and you see someone walking up some stairs mm. behind him. It's like a projection, like a green screen effect. It hasn't really worked, but it would look good for the time, I suppose. But you see this guy behind him, and he literally says, Oh, th- that's just him fading from existence. And you're sort of like, Whoa, 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 stop. Wait a minute. <laughs> what? This person's fading from existence. Yes. And that's it. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Wow, you know, wow. You know, oh, is that happening? Uh, yeah, why? I don't even understand what's going on. Yeah, and that's, but, that, but it's almost like there is a wider world here. There is something going on. Um, but it's almost like it's not important to an extent. And I just I just sort of kind of like that, that they sort of... But yeah, that whole section of going through the labyrinth is is bizarre in, in yes. one of the best possible ways. Well, I mean, so, so here's what I'd say about that. Like, I, I, I love what you're saying. I totally agree with it. I mean, I think that labyrinth, like, it always reminds me of, like, a Greek Hades, right? Where people mm. are shades. And they're, like, they're wandering around and they don't really remember their former life. There's that kind of, like, it always reminds me of that. And obviously, like, the labyrinth is sort of Greek, mythological. Then there's this angel thrown in, which is sort of, you know, Judeo-Christian. Um, and... uh you know, it's very bizarre. It's very symbolically resonant. I mean, the people like fused with a rock is so creepy. Those kind of, you you know, you mm-hmm. point out those spider webs and, you know, that guy fading. I mean, it all sort of is symbolically resonant and cool. But you're right that like there's no real attempt to explain in any coherent way how this <laughs> civilization works. Right. Like, why mm-hmm. do you have twin kids? You Do you exile? Like, there's no children in the city. Do they or in the labyrinth? Do they like? How do they have kids? First of mm. all, then they exile the kids like to the outskirts where they're like living in Thundar the Barbarian. Yeah, and you know, and then when they get old enough, there's like a, a guy who wears um you know furs who goes around and like catches them in nets and takes them to the city. And and then if you piss off the city. We put you in this like labyrinth where you start fading away and you become like shades and you lose confidence and you know your sense of self. Um, all of that is like massively symbolically resonant, and there are great ideas there, uh, but none of it really makes sense coherently as a as a coherent world. On the other hand, um, you know we've discussed so many movies where that's my complaint. Where I'm like, you know, this, I mean, you know, Flash Gordon makes no sense whatsoever yeah. <laughs> as a coherent world, right? I mean, half of Star Wars just doesn't mm. even attempt to have a coherent world, right? Well, how are you farming moisture? 
right? No, nah, doesn't mind. It, it, it's an idea. Yeah. How does this economy really work with what well, doesn't matter, right? It's just an idea. It's enough of a gesture towards it. And, and okay, that's a fuller gesture than this is doing. But I kind of like the sort of like French absurdity of, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's a kind of like surrealism to this that there is in a different way to like Flash Gordon, but Flash Gordon is a kind of like, a, you know, um, you know, a, a American absurdity, you know, it's a, it, and this is a kind of like more French uh, surrealist absurdity. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I mean, Flash Gordon sort of cleanly fits into that sort of like, you know, the white savior sort of like, you know, um, uh, motif. This this sort of fits more into the like I haven't got a clue what's going on motif <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, I mean, again, it comes to things like you meet Pygar, this angel who at one point it sort of alluded to the fact that he is a native of this place. Like it, it sort of, uh, which I'm not entirely sure if that's the truth or not. He's blind because he. And again, I'm like, does that mean anything? No, he literally had an accident and was blinded. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so that's that's not really relevant to anything. It, I mean, it plays into the plot a bit. Um, and then it sort of suggested again, 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 it's all suggestive. She, she's sort of like looking at him appreciatively. You know, he's obviously very slight, uh, lithe and he's very athletic and this sort of thing. And she takes him up, he takes her up to his nest. Um, which I'm sort of like, <laughs> I know he's got, I know he's got bird wings, but he's not a bird. Like, that's that's weird. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then like, it's uh, it, it's unclear whether or not they've slept together, but it seems quite clear because, you know, people start looking up and he's flying around and uh, Professor Ping sort of Marceau Marceau sort of says, oh, my God, look, you know, look at that. And finally, which sort of goes, oh, so he couldn't do that before? Like, you didn't say that a minute ago. No, they did. They um, do. OK, so oh, yeah. so they do say, like, uh, that he can't fly. And she asks uh, the uh, professor about it. And, and Ping says, like, it's in his mind, right? That it's like, right. it, it's psychological. Um, and, you know, like, I, again, I think like the, the, the nest thing is just one of those like weird Flash <laughs> Gordon, like crazy ideas that you just put in without a filter. I had the same response, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, why do you, why do you live in a nest? You know, yeah. um, but uh, <laughs> But, you know, I, I like that he's blind. Like, you know, uh, that is sort of symbolically resonant, especially with, you know, uh, the the sort of motif that uh, the the blind figure going back to Homer can see. Right. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it is said that, like, you know, he he can't fly anymore. And it seems because he's like down on himself. He's blind. He doesn't believe in himself. And Ping says, like, oh, that's psychological. And then. Uh, she sleeps with him in his nest, and the way you know they've had sex is it's it's not as clear as the the you know Sean Connery dude, but uh, you know you cut to her uh, reclining and singing just like uh, you know yeah. with the the hunter guy, and you know it's like oh you know like she's starting to enjoy this now she's she's okay with the old ways, and then suddenly he starts flying and Ping says. Uh, Ping sees him flying and says, "Interesting therapy." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true, actually, because she is. She's laying in the nest and sort of strategically placed grass, uh, you know, all over. And yeah, it's it sort of again. It's almost like um, she, for her. I, not, this is going to sound awful, because it's not that she's being slutty. So she's clearly enjoying the physical experience now. 
because uh, there's a third encounter which I think is quite because the huge. The other thing is, humour starts to be introduced at this point. Up until now, like it's been a little bit unclear about the tone that it's trying to strike. Mm-hmm. And there are, but there, it comes in later on. There are moments that are almost like slapstick level humour. I'm like, I'm, okay, this this it's, it's quite funny, but I'm sort of like, it doesn't fit with other parts of this film. Um, but uh, yeah, it's clear that she is now getting quite into the groove of this sort of like this physical lovemaking, where she's like, ah, oh, okay, great. Well, he's an angel, and you know, I'm all for that. Um, and yeah, it just sort of seems sort of like again, it's not it's not a big deal. It's just sort of uh, another encounter, um, and actually, it's had a, as you say, it's had another positive outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not it's not it's not looked down upon. It's not a sort of like a a you know, oh god, she's only just slept with the other woman. I don't know what the time <laughs> passing is, but she's been busy. But it has another positive impact or another outcome. So again, sort of quite sex positive, really, I suppose. Yeah, and you know, going back to like the hunter when they're just like, oh, we're going our separate ways. I I remember like the first time I saw this, you know, even relatively recently, it was just shocking to me. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's shocking to me that there's not that like painful goodbye. Like, you know, um, it's just like, well, you know, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to do this. Like, we like each other. That was really awesome. I hope to see you again. You know, it's like (laughs) there's no like lingering like, oh, shouldn't we talk about being in a relationship? Like there's no aspect of that. And the same thing with that angel. It's like, uh, you know there's no feeling on the movie's part whatsoever that this is that of judgment of her. It's, it's positive to him. And again, I think like uh, there's a kind of, uh, um, you know, problematic uh, aspect in that both, okay, the hunter sort of initiates her and then, you know, that's a reward for him. She enjoys Mm. it. But then the second time it's like therapeutic for him. Um, I mean, I'm not saying this isn't, problematic at all but i love that uh yeah there's no there's no shaming uh and there's this sense of like she is beautiful that angel Mm. is beautiful you know uh yeah you know let's have sex and like you know maybe that'll help your confidence issues dude and this is gonna be fun for me too yeah it is it's as straightforward as that i mean you know it's um not, I mean, you know, the, the, we've we've already we've spoken relatively recently about sort of when we did a red dwarf thing. You know, you go back to uh, the episode series five uh, episode Hollow Ship, and you know where it's sort of mandatory to sort of have sex at least once a day, or in in their sort of as almost as a sporting event. It's not quite that far, but they mm-hmm. say it's not this sort of like entrenched in all the emotions and the relationship that I think sort of like gets in, you know, gets layered onto it now in in many many respects. Um, so yeah, it's almost as almost you know we've talked about it quite a bit, but it's almost like a footnote in the film. It just sort of happens, and this sort of the film sort of goes right. Well, we're moving on to the next bit, and uh, she's like, "Well, I've got to get into that city." Um, and this is where you sort of get the explanation of like how, to an extent, of how things work. Um, and you know, I, this sort of boggles my brain a bit because I was, I was I was constantly wondering like, why would you live here? Like, what would you live on this planet? Like, there's clearly interstellar, you know, intergalactic travel. Why here? So this this city is powered uh, by a 
a watery mass that exists. What do they call it? I forgot what they call it, but it's a... Uh, math moss. Math moss, there you go. So, yeah, it's, it's a watery <laughs> mass that exists across or under the planet, and it feeds off... Uh, and I'm going to make another film reference, which I couldn't believe I was thinking about when mm-hmm. watching this film, but it off negative vibes and evil sort of fuels it, and... Um, it then, in return, gives them energy and warmth and da da da, um, and to the extent of like people are fed to it and all this other stuff. And again, I was thinking, so it's about it's basically a, a psycho sort of psychosomatic gooey substance that lives under the city and has been driven by negative vibes. Dan Aykroyd has watched Barbarella and put <laughs> it into Ghostbusters too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I was thinking about Solaris. Uh, you know, yeah. with that sort of like planet surface that is somehow psychoactive. Um, and you can sort of see the mathmos underneath. I mean, okay, so once they get, you know, like as they're flying to the city, you have those weird like flying contraptions and they're the weirdest design. It's like there's two pods and they're kind of conical on top and they've got wings, they've got but like their wings, wings are like these convex shapes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so like, okay, that's cool. Then they get into the city and you're introduced, like, I, I love this Mathmos idea. I think it's just underneath the city because it mm. like explodes at the end and it destroys the city and maybe some of the surrounding labyrinth. But I, I don't think, I don't know that it's the whole planet. Uh, you might be right. But I love like, you see it through this like translucent mm. floor and it's like, this city has been built on top of this unfathomable alien consciousness. Uh, you know, I mean, this is it's the trippiest shit imaginable, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's, I, I, it it's is visually cool, awesome. It is, I'll say, because there's a scene, and you know, they do they go through the city a little bit, and you see that these you are told that the people that live in the city have to be evil in order to sort of you know continue <laughs> to sort of feed math marks in, in order to for it to, to give them warmth and heat and food and all this other stuff, whatever. And so that's sort of how they live. But more than that, they go into they get sort of uh, the, the angel gets captured and sort of so uh, Barbarella has to save him. And again, at no point is she ever really just the sort of like the damsel in distress. Like she does a lot of the saving, which is cool. But she sort of saves the angel, and they back up into a chamber, mm. which has got three doors on it. And a voice comes over and it's basically sort of like you know, and you see it through this, this way. You see Massimus through the floor, and it's like this bubbling grey mass, and it changes colour and stuff. It's really, it's really cool. <laughs> But you are given sort of three options for death. And I, I was sort of thinking, like, I, I was trying to grasp what this was about. And it felt to me, it's like, this chamber, if you've had enough of living mm-hmm. in this city, it's almost like, this is a suicide chamber. Absolutely. I can't, that's, I, can't, that's I, can't, I, can't, I can't live this way anymore. But I love the fact it gives you three options, three doors, and you see someone go through one and there's just a screaming and stuff. And um, again, I was like, this is a really dark idea but in a really sort of like I say like, like peppy trippy film this thought of like I can't live in this evil city anymore <laughs> I'm gonna have to kill myself I was like wow that's that's going somewhere yeah um, I mean you know I and I think that I, I for me it's part of the trippiness right yeah I mean like you know yeah I I, I wrote down in my notes like you know it's a suicide room. <laughs> you know, like uh, it's like, you know, the, the Futurama like suicide booths or something, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, then you start getting into like the design of 
the city. And, and I, for me, like once you're in the city, everything picks up and I basically mm. love everything. Um, you know, right away, like, you know, they, they land in the city, uh, the angels sort of captured uh, these men sort of attack and capture her is implied that they're going to rape her. A woman with an eye patch shows up, you yeah. know, and kills them. Um, then there's like stairs inside this plastic tube. And suddenly you're at a wall with like these giant metal threads coming out of it. This is like, you know, like this is some art installation, you yeah. know, <laughs> uh, it, you know, in a museum, postmodern museum or something. And, and then they stumble, you know, they retreat into this suicide room with a mathmos through the floor and, you know, and you think, you know, so not only is like every element of design uh, amazing uh, and, and mind bending, but then like, I also am so intrigued by what, how does the society function? Like you're saying, mm-hmm. like clearly people get pissed off and done with it. And they're just like, Oh, I'm going to go to that suicide room. But even that suicide room is like whimsical and bizarre. Like, yeah. If you're going to kill yourself, you should have three choices. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on? And and then it says, like, if you don't make a choice, we'll kill you unpleasantly in this other fourth way. It's yeah. very bizarre. It is. It's sort of like, we've got these three terrible ways or the fourth awful way. So <laughs> make, make your choice. Um, but you're right. I mean, because also, like I say, it's two-tiered. This set is two-tiered. And she goes up this, like, flight of stairs, which is great because it is. It's like a perspex tube with stairs in. And it is it is all design because there is no there is no efficiency, mm-hmm. you know, or purpose to half the stuff there, which is fine. Yeah. And I'm completely happy with that because it looks cool. And also it's all in keeping. Like if it was sort of, you know, filmed in a an oil refinery kind of place like they do in some of these sci-fi films, and then they had this perspex tube of stairs in, it would look really out of place. But no, the whole place is in keeping with that tone and it looks, it does look really cool. Um, and I can imagine whoever did, did, did the design for this, it looks very European. Like I can imagine, sort of, because we should say actually the whole thing is based on a French comic. And so it does seem very in keeping with that aesthetic. Um, and it goes to the costumes as well. Cause a lot of them are just sort of like, you know, they've gone mad with the costuming, you know, <laughs> there's like feathers, places, there's chains, there's, uh, you know, different colours and different things. Um, I mean, when they are rescued by the guy called the concierge, and he walks in in sort of like what's well, sort of a bit like a weird sort of Japanese kimono kind of deal, but it's all, but it's got like almost like the front of a boat sticking out the front of it and stuff. I'm like, someone's had a real good time designing and making these costumes. Yeah, I I love that stuff, and and you know, then then he walks them through this weird door that's like not rectangular, but it's yeah. not like it doesn't even come all the way down to the floor, and it's not even like an oval. It's just this weird organic shape, and then you know, so many of these scenes, like you know, there are these like translucent uh, corridors and stuff, and and you know, um, you know, and, and then the other thing is like the camera gets really aggressive. And you start getting all these shots like through translucent parts of the room. And I mean, there are so many shots in this that are just, I'm just like, that is a brilliant artistic shot. I, I can't believe that that's in this movie. Um, it, it just seems to me that once they're in that city, like you said, the the costumes, somebody went crazy on mm-hmm. the set designs. Somebody went crazy on. Um, and then like they walk into rooms and it's like, oh, 
there are people hanging you know like they're into bdsm like they crucify the angel they're people yeah. hanging like clearly there's like a sort of like bdsm subculture going on here and then there's like you know people doing opium and the opium is from like there's a dude like in a giant kind of like essence flask of, and it's essence of man that's yes. what it's called it, yeah it's... women are getting high on the essence of man that's being distilled from the dude like <laughs> half submerged in bubbling water like it's so bizarre yeah and i love the fact that again sort of i almost watching it one of the things that i noted was i almost feel like this film was this film was filmed in a linear fashion and they got more adventurous as they went on because they get to the sort of the the, the first shots of the city and the filming through the city i'm they are not say they're standard. They look good, but there's a lot of wide shots. And then it comes into mm-hmm. sort of like a middling shot and this sort of stuff. It's very sort of fixed camera. You know, it's fine. And then it's almost like you say, so the, the cinematographer or the director's gone. This set, <laughs> this set's amazing. Let's try this. Let's try that. And they do this. Really start to include like the set design in the shots. Um, doesn't I mean you know we do talk about there's there's several. And, and weirdly, the wrong, like weird occasion at like the end in the finale has got these like rotating, um, mm. like magnifying lenses. glass lenses, yeah, and that's yeah. really cool. And that sort of like feeds into the whole thing, and it looks good. But they also have a comedy scene at one point, and we'll meet the Reb- we'll talk about the rebels in a minute. But they have a comedy scene about a radio, they're trying to turn off a radio, but it's all shot down a, from the top of a perspex tube. Down yeah. to the two characters, I'm like, this shot's awesome. It's really, yeah. it's, it, but it's a really sort of like silly, whimsical scene, but a really cool shot. Um, yeah, yeah it I, reminds I, me of like Will Eisner spirit comics, where like yes. the best stuff is just like we're getting some weird worm's eye view, you know, like from between a sewer grate looking up at the characters, and you're like, why not? I mean, I, I think some of the best cinematographers are like, you know, hey, let's shoot through this lamp you know like you know let's shoot through the lampshade you know and people make fun of this but i love those shots and uh, the lens shot you were talking about blows my mind i think it's so amazing because the lenses are rotating and so even more than through that tube like you're watching the figures but the figures are constantly being distorted and changing shape and that seems so correct for this sort of whimsical Mm. uh you know, incoherent sort of uh, yeah. stream of consciousness story. But it seems that the more they go on, the more adventurous they become with how they make this film. And I'm pretty sure if that's the case, I can imagine they're all sat at the end of this going, I wish we could film the beginning again. Like, <laughs> so much cool stuff we could have done. Um, but yeah, because, I mean, you know, she she does meet, you, you talked about the woman with the eye patch as well, who sort of basically tries to attack Barbarella. And Barbarella's like, now nah, I'm all right, thanks. I'm, you know, I'm sort of, not bothered by that. Um, it turns out that the reveal is that she is the uh, tyrant. Um, what do they call her? The, the ultimate tyrant? or They call her the great tyrant. The great tyrant. And then tyrant. later on, they call her the black queen. And it's like, now you're calling her the black queen? When did she yeah. become the black queen? <laughs> yeah. She did it, but she, uh, she's better as the great tyrant. And again, like, mm. she's an interesting character. Like, she's, she's, she's basically like, oh, yes, I go out amongst my people as an assassin with an eye patch and, and knives to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in disguise. Yeah. 
but he's still in like, disguise as a murderous, you know, insane person. Yeah, it's just like that again. It's quite dark, but that's actually really cool. Uh, you know, another cool idea that gives into this idea that this city, it, it, you know, in order to live here, you have to buy into all of your vices, all of the evil. Like you know, that's it's there, um, and it's. All of that is on display, but never gratuitous, you know. Um, yeah, and I think in this scene, this is another scene where it's like, oh, I feel like this is hitting its stride. When they're introduced <laughs> to the great tyrant and, you know, uh, you know, first of all, you meet that you start meeting another class of people and they have like three spikes of hair yeah. on their head, you know, tubes of hair. Like, again, like they've just gone crazy with the dress, crazy with the hairstyles, the costuming. And they bring in, they bring Barbarella in to meet the great tyrant. And it's in this like weird, like kind of like inside a whale shaped room with like these yeah. ribs that are, you yeah. know, and it's like, who designed this? It's, it's so trippy and, and mind blowingly, you know, beautiful and weird. And then the great tyrant, not only does she not have an eye patch anymore, but she's got a translucent spike on her head. It's yeah. like, you know, did what? Lady Gaga design this? That's what I was. I was it's so funny you say that because I was watching it because she's got the like this black sort of like lace and feather and all kind of stuff. This dress, and then she's like, say she's got you know she's got very long uh, black hair. She's a very beautiful woman, but then there's like huge unicorn horn thing going on. And I again I did think like Lady Gaga has watched Barbarella. <laughs> like there's something more to this. Um, but that I was I was fascinated to see. It almost becomes it is a crown. In some respect, because it comes it comes up again later, but I was like looking at her head, going like, "How does that attach?" Like again, like, this is really well done. Like the hair and makeup and stuff and costuming in this film is incredible. Um, but yeah, like you say, some of the scenes are just great. The, the sets are great. I can imagine someone's like, you know, they've done their design and they've done the drawing, and then they've handed it to the sort of set builders, and they've gone, "There you go," and someone's just gone, "Oh shit." <laughs> Yeah, it's like they realize at some point, oh, they just want us to go crazy here. Let's really yeah. go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, uh, yeah, I guess that that horn is like the symbolic phallus. Uh, but again, like there's a woman in charge. Nobody mm -hmm. says anything about like, oh, the great tyrant is a woman. That's yeah. not a thing. Nobody has says one word about it. It's, you know, nobody ever thinks about it. But then the other thing is like the dialogue become strange and mm -hmm. i you know one of the things i love about the city i've already said is like how does this culture work and you get like hints with the suicide room and you know you know the tyrant going down to murder her people you know like there's all these weird aspects but you know the tyrant uh you know calls barbarella pretty pretty yeah, never yeah. says you know and, and then the so barbarella then grabs the gun which is out of energy and holds the great tyrant uh hostage and so the great tyrant has just said like oh you're feeling the effects of mathmos already then barbarella grabs the gun and is and says threatens to melt the great tyrant's face mm. and it's like in this and then the great tyrant says like she's just insanely concerned for like oh not my face not my face i mean None of this makes any sense, but it, it's like it, it's so wonderful to me. Like in, in just this compact few lines, finding myself wondering, like, is the Mathmos affecting Barbarella? How much does that affect the entire plot going forward? Mm. And also, like the Great Tyrant being concerned for her face, like 
does that mean she's obsessed with beauty? What does that mean? Like, you know, I mean, if she's shot in the head, she's probably going to die. Why are you concerned about the effect of your face as you die? Like, is, is that part of the culture here? What's going on with that? It's so weird, but in a really lovely way. Yes, no, I agree with that. I love the way she says what she calls she calls Barbara pretty, pretty, because um, it's so creepy and sinister. Like you know, and it's it's almost um, it, it, it reminds you again sort of of just sort of she's taken a liking to Barbarella for, for different reasons. Like she's obviously like I say, James Bond is incredibly beautiful, but also the fact she stood up for her and just walked off. And so there's, there's almost like an admiration and a respect there. And mm. she's almost like, well, no, I'm going to have you. You you are, um, you know, you are something special in this place. Um, and I like that. But I also like that they want to, do, there's a need to corrupt what they see as innocence and that sort of thing. So that's why she's oh, so, so, you know, to have that thing of saying like, you know, pretty, pretty. It's because to, <laughs> to, to say something's pretty is very nice, but the way she says it is that sort of, it's where the seediness comes in. But like you say, Pie Guy has been taken and when he's reintroduced, he has been crucified with nails through his wings <laughs> and he's hanging up on a metal sort of like structure. And you're sort of, I also like, okay, this is, now you're in sort of you know this city and it is evil like they have got no plan <laughs> about torturing people and all this other stuff um it, yeah, it it's gone in a very different direction and this is where we sort of when i when i come to the humor in it when i come to some of the stuff that gets humorous later on um it's it's when this tone starts to sort of feel a little uneven uh for Mm-hmm. Parts, but I do like this bit. I have to admit, this is a part I do like because it's interesting. It is fascinating. Um, but it's just still this thing of sort of like I'm not sure what's going. On. The thing is, I remember I watching this film. I didn't. I'll be honest with you. I didn't check uh, my watch other than the very beginning of the film. It's about ten minutes, twenty minutes in, when I'm like, okay, oh, it's only going twenty minutes. And then I, the only time I ever checked it again. And it was like 90 minutes. And I'm like, there's only eight minutes left of this film. Mm-hmm. How is this going to end? Like, I yeah. don't know where this is going. Um, right up until the end, I didn't know where this was going. And like you say, when the, she comes, she's now met the great tyrant. She's now met, you know, Pyga has now been crucified. A hell of a lot of stuff happened. And I've still got no bead on what the hell is happening with Duran Duran. <laughs> yeah, you've never, you know, well, you, you find out later you have met mm. him. But you nobody knows that he's not introduced i mean nope. yeah it, it, it's very it's very weird uh yeah i mean that crucifixion image is so striking and there's blood on his white those that beautiful mm. you know we both like those white angel wings they're spattered with blood <laughs> and I, I mean and i feel like we're like in a jodorowsky movie all of a sudden like yes. you know this is crazy <laughs> Yeah, well, she, I mean, like I say, the, the great tyrant sort of, you talk about the beauty and stuff, and she acknowledges his bl- he's blind. And at one point, she has him sort of pinned to the floor, and she mounts him and sort of has, you know, forces his hands to caress her. And she says, basically, like, if you weren't blind, you would see how ravishing I am, how beautiful I am, or something. And there is that obsession of sort of like, you know, you she he, she clearly knows there's a connection there with Barbarella. So is it jealousy? Does she want this angel to you know, to, to see her as beautiful and this other stuff. Um, and so, again, I find that, that that sort of, you know, what what's driving 
what's driving the tyrant, the great tyrant and her, her sort of behaviors? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I, I forgot that about, you know, I, I remember that there's this attempted seduction scene of, of Pygar. Um, but, you know, I mean, that seems to play into the, oh, my God, don't melt my face kind of weird reaction. One thing that is clear is that not only in controlling as the tyrant, but also in being so concerned for your beauty and appearance, mm. she represents a kind of like uh, ego. And, you know, the, the beauty thing might be a feminine ego. The conquest thing we could say is at least a traditionally masculine ego. But she clearly represents a kind of like, you know, uh, egotistical uh, force in contrast with Barbarella's overwhelming innocence. And I think it's, you know, it's only through these contrasts that I realize, like, Barbarella does not care that she's attractive. Yeah. Other people say she's beautiful. She clearly, you know, like she knows other people think this, but she doesn't, you know, she's not concerned with looking pretty. You know, she wears awesome outfits, but she doesn't seem to be wearing them in an attempt to seduce. She thinks they're cool. You know, like she's never, I don't know. It's just, it's amazing to me that you have this female character who, if this were a male character, first of all, every challenge, instead of saying like, oh, let's do this. You know, these male characters would say, oh, you know, we've got a soldier on. Don't give up. You've got it. You know, and they phrase it in this way. She just deals with it with this this uh, unfailing, innocent grace. And in the same way, seems utterly unconcerned by whether other people think she's attractive. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's again, it comes down to this thing of like, she, she is a character is interesting. But like, like you said, like. <laughs> the fact that she, the fact she's a woman never gets addressed, you know, it's never an issue. The fact that she's a you know, she's a warrior is never really a bother. Like she herself is just herself. She's she's so comfortable with herself of being just herself that like whether she's considered attractive or not, or whether she's considered brave or not, what doesn't bother her. She's just yeah. like, well, I'm just I'm just me, and I'm here to do this mission, and I'm going to sort of do it, and that's all there is to it. Like there's it's just. Um, you know, it feels straightforward, but it's not. There's more to it. But it's a confidence. It's just self-confidence. Like, she's just completely comfortable with who she is. Um, even when she's... After this scene, she escapes, or she's saved by... She goes... You know, she's saved by the rebels. Oh, no, because firstly, well, there's a torture. There's a, there's a death. And yeah, she's going to be executed by one of the weirdest <laughs> things. <laughs> Which uh, I, I've seen, I've seen uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. I've mm -hmm. seen how you can make birds creepy and sort of unsettling. This isn't it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, this is this is not one of the better scenes. But you know, I love like I, again they they're like, okay, we're gonna like execute you, right? We're gonna do something terrible to you. And then they again like they go into another room, and you're like, the first thing you see are like these. Egyptian kind of like sculptures of like bird heads and you're like there's two of them and you're like what are these attached to like what am I seeing and it turns out that they're both like why again like there were I mean it's so weird okay so I mean there are these twins outside of the city right then there the flying crafts have the two twin cockpits mm. here's this like bird cage thing there's one cage underneath but it has like two 
sort of like oval areas that each have a separate there's this weird kind of doubling thing going on yes it's yeah. still tr- i don't know what's i don't know what to make of it man but this turned out to be just like a cage and apparently when they shot this they just they shot this for a while and they you know they had to get these birds and they like uh had you can kind of see like they put a fan in the floor mm. and they covered uh, Jane Fonda in birdseed and just <laughs> put this fan just like slamming the birds around in a frenzy and are just like yeah let's just do this for hours a day over and over again and like the birds were shitting on her you know uh it, it's just this was not well executed it's it's that thing of like if they've got that much footage, yet this is what they chose to use. I mean, it's funny because they come out, and at first I was like, because I mean, I wouldn't. Firstly, I wouldn't want to be in there. It is quite a weird, horrible situation. So she's in this thing, and hundreds of or tens of birds, budgery guys. Let's not even say birds; they're budges. Come out, and they're all flying around. They're all multicolored. There's some wonderful colors. There's blues and yellows and greens, and it's great. Um, and then she's up like ah. And it's all like then they'll sort of like, they'll show bits of her costume being ripped and there's some sort of fake blood on there. But all I'm seeing is she's then lying on the floor panicking and just a row of budgies are sat on her leg. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-huh. I can't get the past. This looks <laughs> awful. It looks dreadful because those budgies are just like, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to enjoy whatever's going on. Um, but the, the They're perching on her. Yeah, they literally just sat in a row along her leg and she's trying to act and stuff. And it's just sort of like, yeah, this wasn't a great choice. Um, but what I would say is, again, this is a different era. So, you know, I'm pretty much sure Peter would have been involved at some point with this. She's saved because the floor gives way. And she goes down a tube and she's taken away. But then they cut to a scene of her coming out the bottom of the tube and she's still covered in birds. And she lands <laughs> And she lands on at least two of them, and one of them flies away. And all I'm thinking is, like, one of those birds just got battered. Um, oh, yeah. So, but, like, it's, I, mean, you, I think you see it sort of sat, it sat on the bed after, so I'm like, okay, maybe it's fine. But I was still like, yeah, they, they stuck with the guns on that one. They really wanted you to know the birds were part of this. Um, yeah, and it's the weirdest way to execute somebody. Yeah. Like, you know, with these tiny little birds to attack. I mean, it's so bizarre. But, you know, I dig how bizarre it is. You're right. I mean, mm. like, you're, and the other thing is like the cutting is like a cut of a more Hitchcocky kind of like they're trying to get there and they're just like there's a fan just blowing these birds around and then you cut to them just perching you know and it doesn't seem like there's any commotion going on in that shot and then right back to the birds going around yeah. you know as she screams but yeah then she slides through this floor and then she emerges at the bottom and you know and you're like okay this is weird Obviously, it's an attempt to get her out of this escape, right? But then this tube is another, like, weird translucent tube. And as soon as she lands, we're introduced to another character. We have not seen Duran Duran yet. We're nope. introduced to another character. And right away, he's, he asked for a password. And you're like, what's going on? Yeah. I mean, I just feel like my brain is exploding. Like, this is so weird. Well, what, one of my first, one of my thoughts about this point, this saving of her going into those that cage and and being attacked by the birds, and then the way the way she is saved, which is so sort of like out of nowhere, you've been given no indication that there's a fallaway floor or anything. It's so smacked of Batman sixty six. Like I could imagine sort of like Barbarella being in there, and that being the end of the episode. You know, how will Barbarella escape <laughs> from this tragedy now? Will she escape the caped canary? 
and you know, and then coming back next episode, oh, the fourth goes away and they're saved. Like it, it's, it feels. I mean, it's very in keeping with the same tone, isn't it? That sort of kitschy sort of sixties, um, silly vibe. But it felt very Adam West at this point. Um, yeah, so, one yeah. Thing I, I do dig about it. Is I is the you know these different episodes like that mm. is a whole episode of you know mm. sort of her being taken to the bird room and you know. And it doesn't go on very long, partly because they don't have good bird footage. But, uh, you know, there are other scenes that, like, you know, go on, you know, uh, for a while. And you're like, oh, I mean, some of these episodes are really short. They're really long, you know. And I dig that. I, I don't know if you've ever read The Adventures of Phoebe Zeitgeist. Uh, no. it, it's a it's a weird alternative comic from, like, you know, uh, it was published, I think, by Grove Press in the 60s. And it's, like, nothing but an episodic thing of, like, an adventure woman who just gets murdered and, you know, it's just, it's, she's in peril at the end of every episode and then she dies and then, you know, multiple installments follow her corpse and then it's reanimated and, you know, I mean, it's just mad. But there is a sense of like, you know, the, the, the female adventurer in peril, right? Mm. Which is the trope of sort of like titillation. Um, but, but, it's always like so imaginative and I don't know. It's, it's very strange. I don't feel like, obviously it feels more like a sort of, you know, Indiana Jones in peril. The birds are not, at least that episode is not sexual in any way. Right. No, no, it's yeah. It, it, it's very episodic. As you said, I think that's, that's a good point. It is, sort of, but it, it is mad. It is. That's the thing. I, quite, I kind of like it because of how silly it is. Cause it feels again in tone with everything else that's gone on. You're like, okay, She's going to be eaten by budgeting guards, you know. I, I, it's, it's not a threat I would ever consider, but someone they <laughs> thought this is fine. Um, but the, this next bit is where again the tonal shift comes out of nowhere. Yes, because all of a sudden you are going to get some serious, uh, almost Monty Python esque humor. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so she meets these rebels, or she meets the, the sort of leader of the rebel sort of thing, and. He, you know, they, they they depict him in a different way. He's wearing sort of leather and chains, and not not, not <laughs> S and M kind of way, but to, to he's, he's got a different style of costume to everyone else in the city. But the all of a sudden, he sort of he is the leader, of the sort of a big part of this rebel force that's trying to overthrow the city and the great tyrant. You learn that, and that's great. Interesting that there's going to be the resistance to that kind of thing. Um. But then all of a sudden, there's a whole series of jokes about an invisible key that goes into an invisible a room with an invisible wall, and then she ends up sleeping with him again. But it's like he doesn't want to do the physical thing; he wants to do the the drug and the psycho sort of um, psycho sex thing. And you get this whole scene of them doing that, where to show how exciting it is. Like they've got like their hair flying up, and she Barbara's hair changes hairstyle like several times, and all sorts of. And someone comes, and then some of the dude comes in, and he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm sorry for interrupting." <laughs> it's um, it's it's a very different. It's an again, it's an episode, but the tone and humor is just, it's very different. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost seems like uh, picaresque, like you know, it, it, it's a mm. different kind of episodic. Uh, you know, story. Um, yeah, I, I do love the, uh, you know, it, it kind of all starts with, uh, you know, 
um, she kind of wants to reward him for saving her again. So yeah. it's like, oh, this is a repeat of the, you know, Sean Connery dude. And, you know, and then I love what he says, you know, she's like, okay. And she just lays back like, yeah. you know, all right, well, I'm going to do this again. <laughs> and, you know, and then he's like, oh my God, no, you know, like, and he says, I, you know, I, I want that pill. You Did you bring one of those pills? And he's so, like, he lives in this evil place where they're, like, torture. There's people hanging and, you know, like, <laughs> being murdered. And, you know, there's a suicide room. And he's like, I, I, I want to try one of those pills, you know. <laughs> and, and he says, what he says is, like, I'm not a savage. Mm. He's so offended that somebody would suggest physical sex. And... I, you know, I, I love that they don't just repeat the Sean Connery bit, but I also love, like, here's this dude in this, like, completely evil society that has all these eccentric things. And he's what he wants is to be civilized, you know? Mm. He aspires to, like, being so civilized that you use a pill. But then, as you say, I mean, there, there's this comedic sort of, like, psychic Vulcan sex scene. Uh, and And then through the rest of the picture, almost this revolutionary leader is sort of depicted as pretty incompetent. <laughs> yes. He's goofy. Yeah. So he's like a goofy sort of character, isn't he? I mean, you know, um, yeah, he incompetent is probably the way to describe it. I and mean, I do like that the, the whole, the sort of sex scene is funny. Like they have their hands together and sort of like say, it's sort of smoke starts coming out and there's they've obviously yeah. got an, an underfan sort of blowing their hair up and all this other stuff. It's, it's, it is quite funny. And again, this is one of the one of the things I would say that sort of to me suggests it was done in a linear fashion because they sort of got to mm. this point and gone, do you know what would be funny? Do you, <laughs> do you know what would be really good right about now? Um, and yeah, and the whole thing though, the 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 you know that psycho sex scene is is, is interesting and it's sort of it's a bit silly, but it's this whole thing with the invisible key that so that felt oh, so. Yeah. That would be at home in sort of like Life of Brian or or, or Holy Grail or one of those things because he he brings up he, you know he sort of brings up this box and it's sort of like oh look at this box he opens it and it's just a cushion with nothing on it she's like where is it he's like well it's invisible isn't it it's an invisible key for an invisible wall and mm-hmm. then sort of like she's like it's not there and he runs off <laughs> to to find it on a board full of other keys. And then he finds it and holds it, and it's on an invisible chain as well to go around her neck. And it's almost like I'm like, this is absurd. Like this is like, it's 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 quite funny, but not laugh out loud funny. But I'm like, yeah, this doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the film. Oh, I um, agree. And and they spent like a good minute just miming this invisible key, and it, and I I feel like you know how is this going on this long? It's not yeah. really working, and it's not in tone with anything. Yeah. Well, again, it comes back to it because eventually, like, he communicates with the people in the in the labyrinth. Like, you know, that's the sort of point. They're like part of the resistance. Professor Ping and all this other stuff. Like, you find out he's been fixing Barbarella's ship, and you know, Pygo is there, and blah blah blah. Um, and when he's doing it, like, you know, he he's got to sort of f- go into this frequency so he can talk to them, and then starts mm-hmm. broadcasting some music and you have this moment of sort of like silliness of them trying to sort of turn off this radio. So they're not found out. And eventually Barbarella just leans in and turns it off. Like it's like you say, as, as, as the resistance, they're not, they're not depicted as a sort of like a competent resistance at all. No. And, and I mean, I think the resistance is, is one of my least favorite aspects of, mm. of the city. Um, 
you know, and, and one of the things that irritates me is like they say, oh, this is a secret tube from the bird execution room. How the fuck did you install this tube? You know, yeah. like they've got <laughs> tubes through the whole city. It's like, you know, the great tyrant isn't aware of your tube system, you yeah. know. <laughs> and I get it. Like we're we're off the rails already, you know. Uh, and I will. I don't know why I'm not willing to go along with that. And I'm willing to go along with you know a blind angel out of nowhere, and you know so much other weird stuff. Um, but then you know to to uh, an even more just like out of sync moment for me is when he's making that radio call to the the resistance in the labyrinth. He says. Professor Ping to headquarters, Professor Ping to headquarters. And, you know, Barbarella, you know, like nudges him and, and says, you know, he's like, oh, headquarters to Professor Ping. It's like he's dazed yeah. after the sex and he like yeah, the, the, the Vulcan sex and he doesn't, you know, it's like he's just a goofy dude. And then when you see Professor Ping, there's like a guy in mud next to him. Like <laughs> yeah. that's a mud man next to him. And it's like... <laughs> Was that cut from earlier? Like I don't remember Mudman. We're just back I mean, in the every... yeah, we're back in the labyrinth. Weird characters abundance. That's what it is. <laughs> just, well, and yeah. then one thing I do love. So I mean, it, it, it oscillates from like stuff where I'm like, yeah, you know, like I, how do you have the secret tunnels? You know, like you know, this seems over the top silly with you know with the key <laughs> that's a little later, but you know, with a sort of Professor Ping the headquarters error. Uh, you know, it's just, it's more weird than funny. But then he says, oh, the password is, and it's this absurdly long alien world word. And Barbarella repeats it as if she knows that word. And I do you know what that... that word, do you know what that word is? It's not an alien no. word. At all. Well, it possibly is. Do you know what that word no. is? It's the, name no. of a tra- it's the name of a train station. Is it really? It's the longest word in the Welsh language. <laughs> oh, God. That's really? what it is. That's what it is. And so when he said it, I was sat there with Alex, and the uh, and the both of us sort of stopped and looked at each other and were like, <laughs> "I'm I'm not going to say it because I can't say it." But it ends with "goch goch goch," which is um, it, it's the name of uh, a Welsh uh, train station. It's the longest wow. word in the Welsh language, and um, I think it's got something like twenty eight letters in it or something like that. Um, it's so bizarre. That's such yeah. a weird reference. Yeah, it is. So, and it, I wondered, and because you know, it's this thing of like, she's from Earth. So I wondered mm. if it was supposed to be like, oh, she's from Earth. Of course, she would know this really small Welsh <laughs> train station <laughs> village. Um, so yeah, so that, I, I I got that reference, but even I was like, that's a, re- a 1968, a sort of like you know American film based on a French comic referencing the Welsh language. Fair enough. <laughs> right, with all these French people filming it in yeah. Cinecita in Italy. Yeah. You know, like, how are they... Yeah, I thanks for that. I did not know that. Uh, yeah. It reminds me of, like, the the uh, Hawaiian state bird, which is like, uh, you know, humu humu nuku nuku apu a'a, where it's yeah. like, yeah, you have to print, like, the state bird, and it's the longest... You know, no, it's a state fish. It's the uh. longest, you know, it's like state animal, you know. <laughs> How do you print that? It's like, it's the train station sign is so long. Uh, I will send you a photo of that thing. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a weird little thing. And and like you say, it's, it, again, it's a joke. And a thing like if you get it, you get it. You don't, you don't. They don't care. But it seems like so out of uh, sync with everything else that's going on. Because um, then like, they sort of drop that. 
and then it sort of it goes back to because she's then got to escape because she's got to get to the great tyrant who is in her sleeping chamber. Um, right, that's, that's what the invisible key thing is, right? She's yes. got this chamber of dreams that's behind the invisible wall. Somehow, yeah. you know, like, okay, a chamber of dreams. Somehow she needs this. And, and it seems like it's connected to that, uh, you know. To Mathmos. Yeah, to Mathmos. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so so like the she's now on an errand for the revolutionaries. Where's Duran Duran? <laughs> like, you know, she's like, I, they mention him. And she's like, okay, now my mission is to like overthrow the great tyrant. And and by the way, I'll also find Duran Duran and Welcome like stop this. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll pick it up later. Uh, it, it just it just so happens to coincide because um, this is where you get the essence of man because she's trying to hide mm. uh, and, and the concierge is chasing her down and she sort of sees all these things and um, she seems to enjoy it as well. She takes a, a, a breath of it and she, or like a, a, a huff on it and she's like, yeah, that's not bad. Um, but this is the reveal, isn't it? She gets taken and um, she by the concierge uh, and she's sort of sedated and she wakes up and she's in this sort of what is basically like an, a piano organ is, is the only she's she's sort of fixed inside an organ thing um and he's going to torture her but and this is where i think this whole point of physical sensation sort of mm. comes to its head it's like she she's learned to sort of ex, to experience things physically and so she breaks this machine because he tries to give us sort of the ultimate. It starts with pleasure and then goes into pain, but she just experiences all of it, and the machine can't handle it. Um, I don't. What, yeah, <laughs> thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean that that is certainly a key scene. I mean, you know, just to back up for a second, you know, with that intermediate scene with the, you know, I I, I love again that set. Like, and you've got a, a bald woman among the, you know, essence of man smokers and this guy in the flask and, you know, like, oh, there's an opium den, you know, in the city, like, you know, oh, it's so awesome. But then, you know, the concierge takes her away. And yeah, I mean, that this like the excessive machine. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think this is, you know, not necessarily problematic, but this is certainly one of the like sort of touchstones of uh, this movie's presentation of sexuality. Um, and, it, you know, it feels again, like, I mean, I think this movie is so visionary. It feels like something out of like, uh, Ken Russell's listomania or something like, mm. I mean, it's just so bizarre. And the, the machine, you see it like spitting out her clothes and, you know, I, I love that like Duran Duran is playing it like an organ and, and it's a cool design. Like it goes in waves, you know, there's mm. these keys that sort of wave over her and it starts pleasure. Uh, but you know. He says, when you reach the crescendo, you will die of pleasure. And she's sweaty and, you know, then the machine smokes and catches fire and she's broken it. And he's very mad. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, you know, it's kind of charming. Uh, it, it's a it's a clever, crazy. It's another clever, crazy thing. But so I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it feels to me like, um, you know, like she has a kind of strength in her uh, ability to embrace her own sexuality and her own pleasure. Um, that she, this is a place that has shame. She does not have shame. And mm. that somehow, again, like symbolically gives her strength. I think there's like in Duran Duran, there's this male desire to perform, <clears throat> like, you know, to give her all this pleasure so much it's going to kill her. And this, you know, again, you know, it's sort of like, uh, the connection between pleasure and pain here, 
mm -hmm. uh, is really interesting, especially with the BDSM elements. Um, and then this male desire, you know, to control, to perform, to control her sexuality, to control, you know, both her pleasure and her pain. And also the way in which that often crosses over to sort of violence, if not homicidal impulses, that this desire to perform sexually and, and, and give a woman pleasure is often tied to uh, controlling female bodies and inflicting violence upon them. And I think that's really resonant for me as well. No, what do you think? No, I, th I just thought it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> no you're right i hadn't thought about that but they, they say because his his irritation at the end of like you know because again it's 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 filmed in an entertaining way like you say you see her sort of experiencing it and she's obviously you know she's having the extensive pleasure reaching orgasm and they sort of the show is all sweaty and sort of that sort of thing it's and it's clear that you know shows you what's going on and then when it starts to smoke and flame like yeah he he is outraged like you know how dare you you know, basically not do what you're told and and beat me at this. Um, and it's it's at that point really she should, I mean, she figures out that the concierge is Duran Duran. Um, and um, there's a couple of things actually which I find interesting. That point is because again she sort of almost insults him, but not quite. Is throughout this point you've been told that uh, that Duran Duran is a young man. Mm -hmm. You know he, he's he's 25 to 30 sort of thing, so he's quite young. And the concierge is he's a, he's a guy in his sort of like you know obviously late forties or fifties or whatever, um, and she sort of calls him on it. She's like, "You're not, you're not the young man I was expecting." And basically, his excuse is sort of like, "Yeah, well, living here sort of comes with its sacrifices. You know, you sort of got to to do these things." And it's almost like, "Yeah, living in this world of vice really does burn you out." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's almost like you say this thing of. He's lived in this world of vice and evil and everything, and it's this need for control. Again, it comes to this need to control Barbarella. Like you had the the great tyrant has wanted to do it, uh, and now sort of he's trying to do it. Um, and like I say, it just her naivety and her like you know innocence, you know, of, of all that is sort of just is what keeps keeps to keep protecting her from these things. Um, because he lets her out, basically, sort of like, you know, because she confronts him about the weapon and stuff. Um, uh, and, you know, it's an interesting moment. But um, it, it allows, like, it goes on to him to then basically to sort of like, it almost sort of, this whole thing sort of pushes his plan forward. Because he's mm -hmm. like, well, you can't take on, you know, you, he's like, I can't take out the the great tyrant. Um you know, the only time you could do it is when she's not, you know, when she's not surrounded by guards. The only time she's not surrounded by guards is in her dream chamber. Um, and so that's when sort of like, you know, and she, and for some reason, again, she just basically gives up this information of like, ah, well, I could, I could sort of let you into that then, and um, <laughs> and so we could help overthrow it. It's sort of, it, it gets a little convoluted, but she she almost has to trick her way out of that machine, and she's obviously gets into the costume change, and then they go off to the the dream chamber um um and so yeah but he he is now sort of like you know he's duran duran you know he's sort of like he now the big bad um he, there was something about the way he played it up until this point he's been very much almost like subservient he's been sort of like you know almost like a a caretaker of the whole thing sort of like working subservient for the great tyrant 
Um, and he, he, he sort of swings now to becoming like arch villain. So it becomes very sort of, you know, scene chewing and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's a choice or whatever. Um, but it, it, it doesn't fully work for me. Um, but it, it, it's again, it's that tone thing of like, you know, they're just going all out and there's that excess. And so when he becomes the sort of, when you realize he's Duran John and he actually is now the main villain, um, it's, it's, I don't know. If it had been held back a bit more and sort of and maintained on that concierge kind of thing, I think I'd have been, I like that a bit better because mm. he comes across a bit sort of, of, of again, 1966 Batman ish at times. Um, but again, like, yeah. again, the, the concepts are cool because they do go to the dream chamber and there's the joke of, oh, she walks into a glass pane and uh, <laughs> that's the invisible wall. Um, and, you know, it's fine. But again, all I can think of is like, you haven't seen a glass window before? Like, <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're sort yeah. of reaching the end now. Yeah. Um, well, let me just uh, go back and, and make a, a few points. Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, Duran Duran's or the concierge's rage at the sudden rage of the machine, right? Uh, being destroyed. And, you know, he mm. says, out of the blue, have you no shame? And, you know, nobody's mentioned shame. There's no yes. shame in this universe before that. And he, you, as you say, like, he seems enraged. And it is shocking to me, you know, like, this this sudden tone, again, like, another tonal shift, but, uh, and it seems to me, like, you've kidnapped her, you've put her in this machine, where she experienced sexual pleasure and then you're angry with her, (laughs) you know, like it's such a like classic sort of misogynist sort of trope, right? Like, you know, uh, guys having sex with girls and then saying like, well, you're a slut, aren't you? You know, it's like, well, you, I did what you wanted, you know, like, why are you mad at me? You know, but here, I mean, it's like you've kidnapped her and then you're angry with her. I don't know. It it, it seems, I I, I love that. It, It seems so resonant. Um, but then I was also thinking like, you know, that you said it was like convoluted and you're right. I mean, the way she just is like, Oh, uh, I've got an invisible key for that. But I kind of dig how, like, you know, I mean, he's enraged. She gets out of the machine and like, she's able to kind of pivot and collaborate with him. So Mm. like they shift into a collaboration and I think it's cool that like, he's just tried to kill her, but she's, again through that kind of like innocence uh this thing that she has she's able to somehow get this guy who's just killed her to collaborate with her mm. so they're like well we have a mutual interest i'll figure out what to do about you later you know and your weapon but right now we, let's work together to get rid of the great tyrant i don't know it seems like a female collaboration versus male uh conflict um but yeah i mean that that the dream chamber uh I mean, yeah, it's silly, and you know they have, but I, they have the water ripple like that mm. seems to indicate like when that is that the wall that's being touched, you know that you causes this. I I don't know what that water ripple is, but the set is amazing. I mean, with mm. the, the with the rotating things and these fibrous white things, and then you know the the bed that uh, you know, the queen is sleeping on is like a sculpt, like a golden sculpture of a woman yeah. reclining 
with like, you know, its head replaced by like a pod, you know, that your pillow goes under. Like it's beautiful. It's it's crazy and like a it, like it looks like it belongs in the milk bar in Clockwork Orange. Yeah, no, the set down again is is ace, and it's one of those things that sort of like you say they've gone mad, and because uh, it then turns out the bed's also got like remote controls and stuff in it, and uh, all kinds of bits and pieces. But the, yeah, they've just gone like all out because there's, there's it, there's fibrous things like this big sort of like fiber optic, this, this sort of yeah. um, grass, you know, tufts of sort of like plastic grass or whatever sort of dotted around. Because the whole thing's black. We should say that the entire black background and the floor is all black. So it's clearly like a soundstage. Uh, but then they've just put this stuff on it and placed it and stuff. And it just looks like it just is very, very effective. Um, I mean, obviously, I watched this, you know, I was watching this in sort of in HD. And it looks, for the most part, it looks incredible. Um but yeah, like you say, you know, the design work is good. Um, it's only when they sort of try and get into the real story nuggets that it sort of starts to sort <laughs> of uh, fall apart a bit. Because um, again, it, like, it, you, yeah. it's surreal, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, well, it is because again, like when you find it, when when she sort of confronts the the great tyrant about why she has to be in here alone, because that's one of the rules. Like the great tyrant has to be in the dream chamber alone, and it's something to do with Mathmos. But yeah. nobody knows. Nobody knows why. It's sort of like, oh no, Mathmos is. You know, I've got to be in here. My dreams fuel it. Oh, all right. Well, are your dreams purely evil. Then is that part of the? Is that part of it? Is that why you can rule? I don't know. Um, I don't know either. Uh, yeah. But it. But it's cool. You know. I no. mean, like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. No. But it's evocative. You know. Like, I mean. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, I mean, I get that it's like a joke, like, you know, in the invisible wall and the invisible key, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, I mean, I love that set and I love the idea of like, you know, uh, it, it's so fairy tale, right? Like there's mm -hmm. a queen who's a tyrant um, and she's got to retreat to this like uh, secret chamber that nobody else can be in where she's somehow like refueled by the the evil alien liquid entity that lives under like that's so just evocative and rich and awesome yeah it is and i can see that you know there's so much that they could explore um and again but i i do kind of like the fact that like she doesn't know there's no because if this was, if this was a modern film there'd be a five minute exploratory you know exposition <laughs> scene of like why mathmos is the way it is and why mm -hmm. she's going to be in this scene or something, but there's just a case of like she even she's like I don't know, it's just the way it is. Like I've been, this is the way it works, uh, and I've got to be here. And, you, and even Barbara's like, all right, like it doesn't matter. It's not important to the plot. It's just just <laughs> part and parcel of it. Um, and I'm yeah, Barbarella just she just accepts everything, right? I yeah, mean, that's part did. of her innocent character, but yeah, it's she, also like let's keep this plot going. Yeah, keep moving. Let's not think about it too much. Keep rolling, keep rolling. Um, but, the, you know, it then moves on to this fact that, like you say, that she's then in the bed, she's like a remote controls. And so she's got these one-way cameras and things, which allows her to see what's going on in the rest of the the city, I assume. Um, well, first we should say that th there's another twist, besides the concierge being Duran Duran, that, you know, she's collaborating with Duran Duran to get into this chamber. She goes into the chamber, Duran Duran goes in after her, mm. grabs the invisible key that uh, they use to go into the chamber and grabs the 
uh, original, yeah. right? The, the one that uh, the queen has and then locks them in. So now they're stuck together in this room mm-hmm. that, you know, there's no escape from. And that, and so that's when she's like, Oh, I have this camera system rigged up into this, like <laughs> weird uh, statue sex bed thing, you know? Yeah. And they've been in there for probably less than three minutes. Uh-huh. And, um, so Barbarella sort of uh, has, um, you know, she's running around. She's tried the walls. The, the, then she wakes up the great tyrant to sort of say, you know, we're doing this. And there's this whole little conversation. They find the remotes. And what's going on? The concierge is being crowned <laughs> as the new tyrant. And I was, even I'm thinking, that was quick. That was. Yeah, uh, he had that one ready. <laughs> yes. But if you notice, the crown that he's having put on his head has got that translucent uh, horn thing again. So it's that sign of rule in some way. Um, and he's he got has himself. He's a and phallus. He does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's got himself a new a new set of clothes and um but, I mean it's yeah, like it was set up ready to go. <laughs> um, but in, in, in this city of evil, I'm pretty sure that the residents were a bit like, All right, <laughs> someone is in charge. I don't care. Do I still get to smoke essence of man? Yes, you do. All right, well I'm I'm all on board. I'm fine with that. Not ready to go into the suicide room yet. Yes, yeah. We'll see how it pans out. The one thing I would say that I, that's, uh, we haven't mentioned actually um, is um, is the the great tyrant's guards, and she has them dotted mm. around, and they've they've appeared throughout. They appear with the your Sean Connery looking dude at the beginning as well, and they're called the Leathermen, uh, and <laughs> which, which which in itself, like they are literally head to foot, like they are they are made of a leathery type material. And they have a one hand is a big whip, mm-hmm. um, and but when you when you shoot them, they explode and there's nothing inside. Like, uh, yeah, are they? They're not really robots, but they're artificial constructs somehow, right? Yep, never explained. But I do like that idea again. Again, like they're called the Leathermen, and they have these whips and stuff. And it's again, it's, it's <laughs> again. I'm like, All right, I'm, I'm sticking with this. It sort of fits into the tone, but I, I love that as an idea that, again that they are just some sort of like automaton that's that's literally just made up of a shell. Um, so, yeah, and, yeah. It, and it makes. I mean, they're the stormtroopers, right? I mean, yeah. I do love their. I so I do love their design. They look mm. kind of like knights, you know. They have mm. like this, you know, knight look to their their head, and then they have that whip, you know. I mean, which is obviously suggestive. Um, you know, but also like here is control, right? Um, you know, and, and I don't know what to make of it. Like, you know, they're soulless. I mean, obviously that justifies killing them, which is a problem in Star Wars, right? But yeah. uh, here they're literally sort of automatons. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, here's there are these instruments of, the, you know, the larger sort of like BDSM kind of control culture of that city. Mm. Uh, and then, you know... Uh, then we have um, the Duran uh, uh, Duran having seized control is using his weapon and mm. just starts massacring. You see, like the revolution is coming up, and it's yeah. just and, and then he's just like, oh, you know, screw that, and he and he straps himself again. Like the design is amazing. He straps himself into like the control pod. It's like <laughs> a chair, 
but with like this helmet thing that like you sit Cerebro. Down and it... it looks like Cerebro. <laughs> yeah, no, I dig it. But it's like a red Cerebro like yeah. grafted into a chair, man. Like yeah. I, I dig it so much. But then he's like zapping them and you know, they just like disappear, you know. Um and he kills the leader of the revolution. Mm. Like, you know, the uh, Dano, he's dead. Yeah. This is the bit I find that's that's, that's interesting is you, you've made the comparisons to Flash Gordon. And this this is the moment of, you know, uh, the Hawkman and um, the, the tree people sort of attacking Ming the Merciless. You know, you've got you know, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun flash, ah, all that going on. It's sort of like, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're getting your pulse up, it's an attack, and you get to see some people fighting or starships and that sort of thing. Like, that's almost where I was going. Oh, we're going to get some fighting. Nope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> nope. This isn't that film. They are, <laughs> they are literally just going to be massacred. Like he's sat in this machine with this look, like what looks like a big, massive laser Gatling gun, and just starts to wipe them out. <laughs> like, yeah, and I this... love the design of the gun. I wish mm. they had more pathos of those guys dying. You know, mm. like in this in this movie that goes for it. You know, why not show those guys? You know, like in agony, you know, just like the massacre, like bring home the fact that like we're witnessing a massacre. Like we're watching, like if this is star Wars, we're watching the rebels die. They're yeah. all dead. And, and yeah. literally they're all dead. The, the, nobody is attacking the uh, city who is not wiped out. Like the professor is yeah. back down at the base. He's okay. But everybody who attacks the city is all just vaporized. Yeah. Oh, he wipes them out. He wipes them out. <laughs> Uh, and I was it, watching it. I was, I was a bit like, "Well, that was a choice." Like that seems incredible. <laughs> That's not, a, you know, a typical choice. Even for the sixties, that you'd expect to have like the hero resistance rise up against that sort of authoritarian figure, and and have that win. Um, no, doesn't happen. Um, and you know, so whilst that's going on, though, one of the weird things is like it's all the weird thing, is is the the great uh, tyrant and Barbarella have this sort of escape pod. And they actually escape into uh, the Mathmos from the sleep chamber. Um, and then they are literally ejected from Mathmos. Uh, and and you, they come across Pygar and they find that Pygar's there. And that's when you said before, like say, she is ejected from it because the Mathmos cannot digest her because of her innocence. Um, and it seems the same, the same seems to be true for Pygar. Um, and you see the city behind, like it's overloaded. There's, there's, uh, I'm not sure if the gun overloads or something happens, but the city explodes. Like Mathmos turns on them uh, and starts well, to so, attack. Yeah, I mean, I dig that. Like the uh, the revolution fails. Like the sort of like masculine, we're gonna <laughs> beat you. You know, again, doesn't work. How they how they win is like the great tyrant. You know, is locked in this room. All the rebels are dead, right? You know, Duran Duran is won, and the great tyrant. Uh, you know, just says, uh, well, there's nothing left to do but to free the Mathmos. So mm. somehow in that room that like she communes with the Mathros and there's all this weird projection of like weird stuff that I, I dig, um, you know, she can like sort of unleash this, this Mathmos thing. And which really ends up meaning like it'll explode. Right. I mean, mm. it destroy the city. Uh, so that's the tr- ultimate Trump card. Um, and so that, that like escape pod is their bed is her bed. And, and the only explanation for this is, I mean, this is not, you know, 
I mean, the only explanation is that Mathmos has created a bubble to protect itself from Barbarella's innocence. So Mathmos is like, I need to protect myself from Barbarella. I'd better put a pod. I'd better put like mm. a bubble around that sleeping uh, woman, uh, you know, statue uh, to protect the great tyrant who's ne- happens to be next to Barbarella. And that's how they survive, as opposed to Mathos being like, well, I'll just consume her, yeah. you know, it, it, into myself. But I guess it feeds on emotion. I mean, you know, so they're well, kind of like ejected. Yeah, it's supposed to feel a negative, isn't it? Sort of, it's supposed to feel a negative energy and, and sort of, you know, the, those vibes. And so th- that's what that is. Yeah, it's almost like she is um, venom to the Mathmos. Like, you know, taking that on would almost be like a poison to it. Like it. And you go back to the point you made before about when she she grabs uh, the great tyrant and threatens to shoot her in the face, and she's like, "Oh, the math moth is having an effect on you." Well, for the rest of the film, she she remains innocent and she remains courageous and brave and true and all, all that kind of stuff. So maybe it is like you know, the math moth is like, "I can't affect this person, like you know, I I can't corrupt her," and so ingesting her would actually be poison to me, um, and because it's also ejected pie girl. You know, it's rejected mm-hmm. him. It can't. It can't ingest him. So that's lucky. Um, well, I mean, but yeah, it's, it's... The, this thing about her innocence. Like, I I keep thinking about how like she, the collaborative way that she, the non-zero sum way that she deals with these things, right? Mm. So I mean, even confronted by Duran Duran, she's like, okay, you know, you just tried to kill me. I'll collaborate with you to get rid of the Great Tyrant. <laughs> You know, we have a mutual enemy. There's no hostility. She diffuses his anger, his rage so easily, you know, by by working with him. And then now she's working with the great tyrant, you know, mm. uh, she's like, OK, well, you know. And so this revolution, this force of like this male force of military arms. Right. We're going to storm the castle. We're going to, you know, the revolution is going to kill, kill the king, you know just fails just is annihilated by superior technology as it it would be thank you george lucas and uh but then the solution is to free the math again like free i don't know why it's caged somehow i guess the implication is that it's been caged and controlled somehow but you know symbolically like she's not fighting you know she's working with the great tyrant working with their enemy to free this like weirdly powerful alien force. And that's the solution. Like this Mm. is, this is some kind of like weird non-zero sum collaborative, you know, international policy stuff. Uh, And I really dig that. Yeah, no, it's true actually. Cause again, it's, it's, it's um, to talk about now, the one thought that comes to my head is, you know, because it is, it's, it almost feels like a Doctor Who kind of thing, isn't it? That sort of thing of a trapped entity that is eventually sort of revealed to be trapped and then they free it and it, it supports their goal in some way. Um, um, and I, I just think that sort of is fascinating to me that that's sort of the way it goes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just this sort of this is awesome. Um, this awesome sort of like you say non-confrontational non-masculine sort of way of dealing with things um, i've just had a warning this recording is going to finish in five minutes okay. we've to the two hour mark but yeah oh, so, wow. w- yeah um so yeah so you get this sort of non-confrontational way of looking at it and that's the end i mean they literally the the end of the film is them flying away like they saved the great tyrant pygar 
and Barbarella and the Great Tyrant fly away. Well, I mean, a few things that I like here, you know, and you're right. It is kind of kind of quick. Pygar is injured, having been ejected. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the Great Tyrant says, oh, you know, like, try mouth to mouth. And there's this great scene where she, like, pumps his chest by pumping his wings. Yes. And it's just, it's so beautiful. Um, and then Pygar revives. He fly, He's flying them out of there. We never see anyone else again. They're just flying out. And then there are these weird evocative lines, right? We've heard an angel's love, right? The angel doesn't love, he is love. And, you know, the final line is, you know, uh, Pygar saying an angel has no memory. Like mm. he doesn't hold a grudge. He literally has no memory. What does that mean? Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think it's like forgiveness, but it's also like, does that mean he clearly remembers her? He remembers like they had sex. I mean, you know, I, I, but I mean, there's a kind of like, it's so evocative to me. It's so it's weird, but beautiful. And I think that it summarizes a lot of what I feel about this film. No, and I think you're right. Cause I do, I do. It's, I like this in the sixties films when these things happen, sort of, they just sort of end. We said it again with sort of like <laughs> quite a mass in the pit last week. It was sort of like, Oh, it just sort of ends. This thing doesn't need a, um, I would love there to be an epilogue, but it doesn't need one. You know, it just sort of ends on that note. And that's great. And it's sort of, you know, you've had this journey and this experience. And experience is what this film is. It's, it's to be experienced rather than to be sort of seen as a film. Um, but let, let's just, we've literally got a couple of minutes left. So what are your final thoughts then on, on Barbarella from you know, 1968 Barbarella? Well, I love this movie. Uh, you know, I think the first half is weaker. Uh, you know, I think that... It is still a positive message. I, I, I think it does have a message. I think it is a beautiful, weird, surreal movie. Uh, mm. And I think that what it lacks as far as music, you know, compared to like Flash Gordon, it makes up with like just sheer weirdness of set design and crazy ideas and, you know, French surrealism. You know, what are your thoughts? No, very similar. I think I think this idea of it being surreal is really important. It is. It's, it's weird, but... And it's not it's not afraid of being weird as well, which I think is great. The set design, the costumes, some of the choices. And they all work in the best possible way, in the sense of it's, you know, it could be there's some shifts in tone, which I don't think work particularly well. But overall, it's an experience. Like they are literally just gonna go, we're throwing you in <laughs> and you're gonna experience some weird shit in this film. And you know what? It's gonna be a, a wild ride, you know. And I'm like, that's cool. This film could not be made today. <laughs> or if it, if, if it did, it would be a mean, dark, you know, darker, gritty version of Barbarella. And you'd be like, no, you don't need that. This is what this film's supposed to be. Um, it was an interesting watch. I'm glad I went back and watched it. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll go back and watch it again. I might do. But um, yeah, no, it's been it's been a good watch. Yeah, I really admire it, I, and I really enjoy it. Uh, admiration is definitely... Ah, that's a good word. Admire it. I do. I have admiration for this film, for what it is and what it does. Uh, and I'd actually suggest, I mean, for, for, you know, literally a second left, any of our female listeners, mm -hmm. if you've not seen this film and you've listened to us talk about it, like, go back and watch this film, because it's not just titillation. It's actually a really fascinating film. From I'd love to hear from a women's perspective, because we are literally just two sort of like bold, you know, white guys still <laughs> telling us, still to everyone, come back and tell us what you think about Tell it. us where we're wrong. Exactly. I'd yeah. love to hear that perspective. 
Um, anyway, literally got seconds left. So we've done Barbarella. So are we going to go? Are we going to go hard hitting, deep diving into sci-fi next week? Hell no. We are doing uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, and Man. I make one. I make one guarantee. I won't sing. streams.